Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. Borrowing from an old adage, it's probably safe to say it's not your father's National Guard. The notion of weekend warriors has long fallen by the wayside, with today's Guard playing a major role in missions ranging from state disaster relief to federal combat rotations. Today, we're pleased to welcome the Adjutant General of Mississippi, Major General Jansen D. Boyles. General, thanks for being here today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, First of all, I think I'll kick off with something that happened in the news recently while we were taping this. You and President Keenum uh, signed an agreement for something really that I think is going to make a huge difference for s- students at Mississippi State University. We did. Uh, Mississippi State uh, just just stepped up and offered to do this for us. We uh, we get about a million dollars from the state that we yeah. supplement tuition with, and it's good for about half a tuition for a student. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned that to President Keenum about a year ago, and they came to us about eight months ago and said, We'd like to address that for you. Really? And uh, so we've worked with them for about eight months and announced it yesterday. And it's a free tuition program that sort of matches what we do for the yeah. guardsmen already. Right. And uh, so it's it's a good news story. Good news story. Well, I thought it was really um, fitting considering that was kind of how you got your start into the guard. I did. Yeah. yeah good memories. Uh, I, uh, I was in engineering and needed an extra two years to finish college once I realized that that was going to be my pathway. Um, my story is the, the classes just weren't lining up correctly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I use that one on my that's dad, That's a good too. one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, so once I started finding money, uh, ROTC was a good option for yeah. me. Uh, I liked that. My dad was in the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it worked. Yeah. Did you ever think that you'd be sitting here right now as adjutant general when you were? No. Yeah. No, I, I got into it for for the six year commitment. Didn't get married. Got married late in life, and I had children late in life. So, National Guard was easy for me, and um, just always just developed a passion for it, and uh, that's where I am today. Just very passionate about what we do. You got into it about the time, and I because you and I are not that far apart in age, and and you got into what were really the mission of the Guard kind of changed because you know I made the comment about the weekend warriors. Yeah. Um, I remember when the first Gulf War happened, there were a lot of people that were surprised, oh, we're getting called up. Correct. Because the military, the regular military, had been cut. Correct. And suddenly the Guard was used to supplement. And so. That's, that's yeah. correct. It, it changed over time. In the, you know, in the 80s, we were doing training at Camp Shelby one weekend a month. Yeah. Desert Storm arrived, and all of a sudden the, the Army really just needed skill sets. They looked yeah. around, and they didn't have enough doctors and nurses. So some of us got activated. Uh, some of us got put in reserve in case they needed us for longer. Yeah. But when 2000, you know, 2001 hit, uh, they looked around and again they didn't have enough people. That's right. And they actually employed us. Um, I, I, but I think taking the guard with you when you deploy, mm-hmm. uh, you don't only take the army to war. You take the you take the nation with you. Right. You take the communities with you. And I think I think the military has learned that they have to do that. Right. When they deploy. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show today, because I really want people of Mississippi to understand what their neighbors are doing when they Good. when they deploy. Yeah. Because it's the mission of the Mississippi National Guard. It's just incredible. Well, and if you're not careful, yeah. that guardsman who lives on your street or next door to you, they'll quietly slip out, go do their duty, and quietly slip back in, not looking for any credit yeah. or any recognition. 
That's just that's just two of the men in my, and women in my formation are. That's what they do. Right now, in Mississippi, um, a very high percentage are deployed right now. We do. So yeah. I have about 12,500 soldiers and airmen, mm-hmm. okay, about 10,000 are Army, 2,500 are Air. Uh, of the 10,000, I've got about 3,200 currently deployed to Kuwait yeah. and to that whole CENTCOM mission. Um, I've just welcomed about 200 home last weekend from doing aircraft maintenance, and I've got another 300 going out the door in November oh, wow. who will be running logis- logistics for the entire CENTCOM area, which is Iraq, Syria, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And these are your neighbors doing this. And it's usually not their first deployment either. It's not. It's yeah. not. We're sending yeah. experience downrange. Yeah. Uh, and a lot, of those, a lot of those soldiers are full-time guard. So I'd say a third of them do this every day. Right. The other two-thirds are businessmen, policemen, other occupations, and they'll go and they'll do that skill set while they're deployed because they enjoy doing it. I'm an insurance salesman, okay? But I'm an engineer by trade, and so I've always done engineering in the Army and then, and then sold insurance in my civilian career. Didn't you start out medical, though, when you first came? I did. Um, so... A little, little confusing, but um, when I finished ROTC, they gave me a choice. Uh, mm-hmm. I was an engineer, and in those days, you could go medical corps mm-hmm. or you could go engineer corps. And I chose medical corps selfishly because San Antonio seemed like a better time than, than Fort Belvoir in Washington, D.C., so I'm a 20-year-old. What, what am I going to do? And, uh, but it was a good career. I did 10 years in the medical corps, then converted over to the Corps of Engineers. You... So, uh- were there on the ground after Katrina. What was that like? Yeah, uh, great, great experience for Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Mississippi really showed up for Katrina. They I'm did. just going to tell you, the Guard did an exceptional job. Um, I was an engineer, uh, civil engineer, with the um, 168th Engineering uh, Group at the time. We have three battalions, one's combat, two are construction. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the commanders and the soldiers just did an exceptional job. We all you know, Katrina hits on Monday morning. We had all mustered on Sunday, gotten in position, and we let the hurricane clear. By Monday evening, we're starting to plan what our response looks like. And, um, you know, basically we sent a battalion of 700 people to Hancock County, sent a battalion to Harrison County, and then Alabama fell in on Jackson County. And uh, we all three counties received that engineering support. Clearing roads, right? You know, and, 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 and making pathways for the utility companies and, you know, to get in there and, and put utilities back in place. Which, of so. course, is uh, one of the primary missions of the Guard because you have the manpower and the, the, the tools when we the do. disaster strikes. And I mean, we're we talking do. Smithville, you were there. Flooding in the right. Delta, you were there. Right. But I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, the, the wide range of assets that you have. Like, for instance, in 2013, there was a ricin attack up in northeast Mississippi. The guard is there. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, we have we have civilian-type support assets that are on call 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week to support the local police infrastructure yeah. or fire infrastructure. So we, we do that, and, and we, we work with the drug enforcement folks a good bit because we have air assets. You were, you were um, deployed to Afghanistan and deployed to Kosovo, correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, Kosovo, I think a lot of people think of, well, in the 90s, didn't we bomb them a little bit? But we've had a long-term commitment there, haven't we? We have. It's an interesting mission. It's a NATO mission. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so I was a NATO chief of staff for a two-star Italian general. And that was actually very rewarding. I can imagine. Um, I, and he actually, you know, I was able to give him input and he listened to me and uh, was like working with any American general. It was yeah. just, it was good. The, the military sort of crosses all cultures, right. I guess is the way to put it. And uh, we had a good working relationship. We got some things done. My role there was really to try to consolidate Kosovo. They had too many camps out. Yeah built an airfield, uh, again, a very rewarding thing. And when I went in there, they needed an engineer, civil engineers to work, look after things, and I did that kind of work. I was going to say, when you're around a two-star Italian general, yeah. it, that's how you learn how to become a general, isn't it? I mean, I know you have yeah. a master's in, you know, you got from or, a war college, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've had some great mentors, yeah. if that's what you're referring to. Right. Um, and I, I could call them by name. I mean, just yeah. just folks, you know, and they all have different personalities. Uh, I, I will tell you this. When I sat down in this job for the first time, I called all the old tags. Yeah. And sat down and had coffee with them and just said, you know, give me some information. And they each gave me different tidbits of information that I could use in this job. I could imagine there was quite a learning curve, too, because, I mean, you obviously knew the Army side of it very well. Right. But yeah. you had the Air Force side, too, you had to learn. Yeah, I did. I, I wasn't familiar with the Air Force. Mm -hmm. I knew they could get us places. Quickly. You know, and bring us home. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, but what I've learned is that these uh, aircraft that the Jackson community sees flying around in the air, uh, they, they are... I mean, they, they are assets for the Air Force. Right. They are some of the newest pieces of equipment in the Air Force inventory that we're using every day to support missions overseas. Uh, the refuelers over Meridian, they're flying missions daily. Uh, they might be refueling fast movers with, with fuel, mm -hmm. doing exercises, uh, or they're deployed overseas to Europe or the, the Pacific. So, again, your Mississippians... This National Guard organization is not what it used to be. I know I have a couple friends that I know that fly the C-17. And, of mm -hmm. course, that was the C-17 is the most modern airlifter that we've got. And of course, mm -hmm. that was a gift of Sonny Montgomery. That Correct. was one of the last things that he did, I guess, while he was in office was get us those. It replaced yeah. the C-141s that were kind of ancient, I guess, at that point. But yeah. they're going over. I mean, they don't think anything about going over and doing a hospital, I mean, a, a medic uh, evacuation yeah. from Iraq or wherever. That's amazing to how yeah. they're just all over the world. They are, and, they, and they'll react. I mean, you, you know, you, I know you were following that on June 3rd, the volcano goes off, the yeah. Fuego volcano goes off down in Guatemala, and on June 6th, we're flying down there to pick up children. Right. I mean, just think about that. Yeah. Uh, they just, you know, our medical, I mean, there's a medical element to what they do out in at the 172nd, and they've got the airplane, and they just go pick up these kids, provide care for them. Uh, just, just remarkable what they're doing. I know... It probably doesn't register maybe up at the Pentagon, but the fact that we have uh, refuelers out at Meridian seems mm -hmm. to be very appropriate, considering that's where the first air-to-air, -air re the first refueling in yeah. midair occurred with yeah. the Key Brothers. We do it a little differently. Yes, we don't stand on the to. outside of the plane and pour the gas in. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that Which, was, if you watch the films, that's essentially what they were doing. They were doing it, yeah. And... Uh, but yeah, but I, I tell you, it's uh, it's a rocky ride if you ever fly on a refueler while they're connected and the turbulence is flowing. I'm sure you enjoy that, right? I would love to do it. I'd yeah. love to go up there and do it, but I haven't done it yet. You haven't done it yet. Okay. No, <laughs> we can make that happen now. I mean, you know, you know people. And uh, I, I tell you, I'm lucky. I've, I'm, I've built a model uh, that General Collins, yeah. uh, you know, recommended to me, but my number two in the office is an Air Force general officer. Mm -hmm. 
and he is a refueler. So I'll let him take care of all the refueling stuff. So, By the way, uh, I noticed a certain congressman got a promotion recently. I thought that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, Congressman Kelly. Yeah, Brigadier and, now. Uh, yeah, uh, Congressman Kelly and I go way back. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in the same battalion together. I was a commander. He was my operations uh, manager, and we worked real well, yeah. real well together. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who the good cop and the bad cop were right. in that relationship, but we, we got a lot done yeah. and uh, prepared that unit to go to Iraq in 2004, 2005. And uh, I didn't go, but he did go with them. The, the history of the Guard is fascinating in Mississippi. And, of course, the, the actual bases themselves have a lot of history. Of course, Camp McCain and Camp Shelby both were prisoner of war camps in, during World War II, as well right. as being uh, training camps. And, and Camp Shelby's role, I don't think people realize how many people have, have flowed through that base since the war on terror yeah. began. I wish I could give you a count. I'm assuming it's in the 200,000s, yeah. maybe 230, 250. I uh, have flown, gone through them the past 15 years. Right. Uh, we had the Secretary of the Army down there uh, last Thursday. I don't know how many folks know that. And the uh, first time he visited Camp Shelby. Really? And uh, he was impressed by the maneuver space that we've got down there for mm -hmm. training. Um, we do some things logistically to maintain equipment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you might imagine, we're very efficient at Shelby because we have to be. We don't get the money that the active duty yeah. maintainers get. And so we showed them a few tricks of the trade that we use to maintain the Bradleys and the the uh, the tanks. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very impressed, and I hope that he'll take those back with him and uh, maybe implement a few things. But you've got a scale village for, I mean, because you think about the yeah. mid-2000s when you had troops, National Guard troops that were being sent straight over to into the really the toughest battles right. in Iraq, that was their main training. Right, it was, because it's yeah. urban warfare. Yeah. And of course, you know, we're shifting sort of back towards the wooded warfare of Eastern Europe, okay? Yeah. But uh, that particular village is, is essential because, you know, at Shelby, we don't just train National Guard. Right. We're, we're training active duty on a regular basis now, uh, Navy, Marine, Air Force, mm -hmm. active Army. They're, they're jumping in and doing training missions, uh, but we're also doing DHS, and they're bringing mm -hmm. in people to do training. So that village that you're referring to yeah. benefits both Army training, military training, and it also provides domestic training for police and firemen and uh, some DHS folks. And there's even a drone training facility there is, down there. There is, and we're yeah. excited about that. Yeah. We, we have been training... Um, the, the drone, not really warfare, but drone usage in the military for probably about probably about eight or nine years mm -hmm. down there. And we've been advertising it consistently among the military. And now DHS has picked up on that. And now we're a training facility for DHS. Really? And um, some colleges have, have partnered with us. I think Southern's right there in our backyard. They've partnered with us. State's got a program like that. They've partnered with us on it. So we're very excited about the opportunities that that offers us. What, what I hope we will do is become a center of excellence for the drone training mm -hmm. where military from all over the world will come in to train because we've got the freedom, we got the air freedom down there. Yeah. We own the airspace, and that's important in that kind of endeavor. Yeah, and you now that's, that's the thing I think it's so amazing about Shelby. As the mission changes and evolves, it, Shelby evolves right along with it. It does. Yeah. And again, we have to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Camp McCain, of course, that name is very familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great camp. Um, we've 
we've got a lot of opportunities up there. Mm -hmm. We're sort of limited by our uh, land base there, but it's a great small weapons firing uh, arena. It's great for maneuver training in in a certain environment. Uh, we do a lot of individual soldier training up there. It's got a great uh, reaction course, great mm-hmm. training course up there. So it's it's very vibrant. Got a lot going on up there. The I think people from Mississippi need to understand how heroic um, their neighbors are. Yeah. And I was looking at some statistics. We've had one silver star, 1,400 bronze stars, including yourself, by yeah. the way. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. Um, several of them with valor. Uh, just yeah. just uh, we should be very proud. Yeah. Of the service, you know, I and I, you know, we just we have we have folks out there doing remarkable things. Right. I mean, we've got we've got Apache pilots who've done some incredible things that were involved in fights in Iraq, who even helped find key leaders mm-hmm. in Iraq. Um, we've we've got men and women who have served at a place called Fob Dogwood out in the middle of a hotbed. We've got, it's you know, Afghanistan. We've mm-hmm. been out. Uh, you know, just in the areas where there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And um, we go, we do it, we come back home, we take the uniform off, and we go back to work. Don't don't think anything about it. That's what we do. It's amazing. Yeah. What thing that does the Guard do that would surprise people the most? What, what mission do you think would surprise people? Well, uh, so we talked about dom ops, yeah, uh, and then uh, that that involves the the domestic response piece. You know, one thing I don't think everybody knows that we help other states. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during the Virgin Islands, the Maria, yes. uh, and the Irma hurricanes mm-hmm. last year, we deployed a logistical unit of about two hundred people down to the Virgin Islands. They were asked for by name, mm-hmm. okay. They were asked for by name by the Pentagon. And so we sent them down there, and they did a great job of managing logistics there in the Virgin Islands for about 60 days. Uh, we are also over in Texas. We helped them with the flooding last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're back over there now helping them with border security. And uh, so we do, we do domestic ops for other states because we know that when we need them, we need them to come here. And so it's just a mutual agreement that we have with the National Guard and other locations. So that's one thing. Um, on the kinetic side, uh, we have special forces unit here, so we're always doing stuff with special forces. What type of things do, does do they do? Yeah, they jump all over the world in small teams. Okay. And uh, recently, they've been in the South America area doing things down there. They've been in uh, Iraq. Um, there's still a little activity in Syria going on, and so we would have people in Syria. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, th- those. Probably the two things that would surprise people, aside from the fact that we have engineers and logisticians mm-hmm. and all the other trappings. I, th- I thought the um, the drug um, interdiction unit that's out in Meridian, I can't yeah. remember the exact name, but I think the work that they do is pretty fascinating, too. Yeah, they, uh, they have uh, air assets, but then they also teach... Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, well, okay, so drug inter- it comes out of the same location, which is why I'm sort of trying to capture it. So the drug interdiction piece is that we're supporting the, the drug movement, putting eyes on activity going on, and we do that with air assets. Uh, we also teach a school over there that helps with that domestic response piece that's a police academy of sorts mm-hmm. where policemen come in from all over the southeast to, uh, to train, in fact, from all over the country, to train on drug interdiction. So... 
As I was looking at the budget and the amount of money that's brought in both federally and through the state. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the guard actually makes a huge economic impact in Mississippi. We do. We're about six hundred billion uh, that we bring into the state of federal money. That's quite a bit of money. Yeah, our yeah. state our state budget's about eight million. Yeah, just to contrast the two, and uh, so we're we're a pretty good bargain for the state. You know, it seems like you drive through nearly every county, and there's. Um, a readiness center, uh, maybe 62 out of the 82, I think yeah, that's right. Yeah, good, good point. Yeah. So um, at one point we were 16,000 Army uh, yeah. people. Uh, we're now about 10,000, like I said. So so just the just the numbers lend itself to the fact that you have too many armories. Right. And uh, so when I first came in, we had about 82. Mm-hmm. We're down to about 73 now. Okay. We've been We've been engaging with the communities and just saying, look, we're having a fire sale. Yeah. Uh, who needs an armory? And uh, a lot of the communities are responding with, we have a need for an EOC. We've got one community that needed a grocery store. Uh, we had a community that wanted to use it, or two, that needed it for their school system. And uh, they used the open bay barracks for basketball and for maintaining equipment and all. So, it's, so where we can return the armories where they're needed, we want to do that. And uh, then we'll take a look once we're through returning armories, see what our footprint looks like, and if we need to... Maybe, you know, look at doing something else with a couple more. We'll do it. Talk about a little bit. Uh, so a hurricane's inbound to Mississippi, yep. and, and it's heading that way. What yep. is the process? How do you yep. get, do you get a call from the governor? How does that work? Well, uh, I work in tandem with three agencies, and mm-hmm. that's the uh, Department of uh, Public Safety, um, MEMA, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then the National Guard. And the three of us, I would say, work in tandem. I know that we include the other agencies, too, but I think ours is more of a direct response right. situation. Uh, we engage with the communities initially. We're in those EOCs locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the outset, we have uh, teams ready to respond to any emergencies. Uh, we had a situation down in Katrina, or no, it was another hurricane where we had a, um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a big hurricane, but there was a lot of flooding with it. And we had to go in and rescue a young man in a wheelchair because the parents couldn't get him out of his room. And we, do, we just do those kind of things yeah. that you just don't think about. Um, but that's who, we, that's who we work with, and um, that's, that's, that's what we would do. And then we would build on that. If, if more is needed, then we bring in more guardsmen, more assets. If, it, if, if it's a bigger response than that, we bring assets in from other, other states to help us. What would the average day for you be like? Well, I would expect to be next to the, the governor, mm-hmm. executing whatever he needs me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, have, we have four commands in the state of Mississippi, okay? We, one of those four commands is in charge of domestic operations, and it's run by a one-star general. And so he would actually be the man on the ground running those operations, like you would expect in any military organization. Right. We, we delegate down to where the user can respond and react. Uh, so I would be probably here. I will be where the governor is. You're at the 30,000-foot level. Yeah. yeah, but the governor's going to want to be front and center, and I, I, oh, I sure. would be there with him. Uh, because you can make decisions better when you're front and center. Uh, but we would have somebody organizing all the troops, if that makes sense. If somebody's watching this right now and thinking about joining the Guard, what yeah. would you say to them? It's, it's a rewarding experience. Uh, you know, I would, I would say, you know, you're not making a lifetime commitment. Get into it and see if you like it. See if you like the people that you're around. 
Uh, I'm having coffee with a father and son this afternoon. Really? To talk to the son about the guard. And uh, just, you know, I'll, I'll tell him that, look, you can go active duty, have that commitment. But if you're joining the guard, you can get the active duty piece, mm -hmm. but you still have the option to go be a civilian and be an Army part-time. Or you also have the option to go, to go full-time if that's, if that's what you like. It's a, it's a great opportunity to, to step into military, get a taste of it, and step back if you decide that's not what you want to do. So um, talk about, I mean, young people, it seems like now more and more, they're getting more interested in, in doing this sort of thing. I yeah. mean, on recruiting, do you ever feel like that y'all ever have any stress getting your numbers? We, we, we don't. We don't. Um, we probably exceed yeah. what the active duty guys do. I would think in Mississippi that would be probably. Yeah. That we're a pretty patriotic bunch here. Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah. I think, and, and, and I'll tell you, it's an economic thing, too. Yeah. I mean, we provide a good paycheck through the National Guard. Uh, it's, it's a good supplement to anybody's income for what they're asking you to do. Um, so it's, 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 it's worth pursuing. It really is. The Air Force does the same thing. They've got great opportunities in the Air Force. I had a, uh, a friend who was in college with me. Uh, you know, I'd ask him, where are you going this weekend? He says, well, this weekend I'll be in Frankfurt, Germany, because uh, I'm going to be a loadmaster on a flight overseas, <laughs> and I get to go over there and spend a day and then come back home for a weekend. You know, what other job lets you do that? It's just incredible. One last question. Um, just looking back over your career, yeah. what do you think has been the best moment for you? Well, I will tell you this, that one is a big number. Uh, we talk about 3,200 people overseas right now. Yeah. We talk about the 200 that got back, the 300 that are going. Those are numbers. Right. But the number's one. Yeah. And the number's one because that, number, that one soldier is a father or a husband, or a wife. Um, and so being able to come back home and hug my family after a, you know, doing something for the military, that's probably the single most important moment of my career. Well, I really greatly appreciate you taking the time today and Thank sharing you, your story. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.